Welcome. We're so glad you've tuned in to the weekly sermon podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia, a dynamic multicultural church near Valley Forge. We want to welcome you into an experience with God and the care of His family, and we believe this message will be a blessing to you. Now, I believe that fresh air represents in some ways a fresh start for Victory Church. You know, for a church to remain viable over the long haul, we have to have certain seasons that are foundational for the next work of God, for the next move of God. And I believe that we're in such a foundational season. And I think it's worth remembering some of the foundations we're building on. And I've been thinking about my beginning here as the pastor and our beginning, Lisa and I together as pastors of Victory Church. But, you know, my first sermon ever at Victory Church as a candidate was on praise and worship. Do you think that was coincidental? Or do you think maybe we are intended to be a center for worship? I think that was very foundational. So that was my first sermon, my first sermon as a candidate. But what about my first sermon as the pastor? I think that's foundational too. And I started out with a story. And the story was of the first roast pig. And from what I understand, the first roast pig was enjoyed in China many, many years ago. And the way it came about was this. A hut burned down and the family pig was inside and perished in the fire. After the fire had extinguished itself, a little boy in the family went over and saw the pet pig there burnt to a crisp and he reaches out to touch it and when he does his finger pokes through the skin and of course it's still hot and he jerks his finger back and sticks it in his mouth and he noticed that tasted pretty good and so he put his finger in again and tasted it and you know soon other people in the village were gathered around and they were poking their finger into the pig and sticking their fingers in their mouths and then it tasted so good they just started eating the pig and it was so good they decided that they were going to roast another pig so you know what they did they burned down another hut <laughs> point is if you want to repeat an experience you probably need to go back and do some of the same things right and if we want to repeat of what we see in the Bible especially in the life of the early church it would be wise for us to go back and do some of what the early church did. Wouldn't you say that's true? Now, I think we have to recognize that we're not going to be burning down huts necessarily. In other words, methods can change, but the principles remain the same. So let's keep that in mind as we look at Luke's first description of the life of the community, the life of the early church in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. It tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, you can see that there are four points that are really the elements of devotion of the early church. They devoted themselves to four things, which I do believe provide an example for us even today, that there are principles behind each of those four elements of devotion that ought to be characteristic of our fellowship with each other today, right? What did they devote themselves to? Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If we want a revival, if we want there to be rhythms of revival, rhythms that flow out of revival and rhythms that flow into revival, and it can be either way, and probably is both ways, if we want a rhythm of revival, there must be a revival of interest in the Word of God. We have the apostles' teaching right here. There has to be a revival of interest in the preached Word of God, a revival of interest in the Word of God as we study it together in life groups, a revival of interest in the Word of God as each day we come before the Lord with an open Bible and say, Speak to me, God. We have to devote ourselves to the Word of God. That's one of the great things that I keep on <laughs> talking about with regard to not just all life groups, but particularly every man a warrior. That is, it teaches you to engage with the Word of God every day of your life. And let me tell you, it will change your life. It will change your life. You're probably not going to experience the life change that you want without engagement with the Word of God. And that's one of the strong points of our fresh air alignment, that we're all getting into agreement about what God is speaking to His church through His Word over these coming four weeks. The preach Word, the life groups, and our daily Bible engagement. Let me tell you, let's devote ourselves to that, and we will see God do something fresh and new. Amen? Amen. They devoted themselves, it says in the NIV here, to fellowship, but I remember other translations saying they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, if I just devote myself to fellowship, I might just enjoy devoting myself to hanging out with you somewhere after church, Dunkin' Donuts or something like that, right? Now, here I go talking about food, and I just lost you. Your mind's gone somewhere else. But, you know, but I, I like to think, you know, it's the fellowship, the Ohio State University, as some football players introduce themselves, right? The fellowship. There, there, there's hanging out. We can be committed to hanging out with each other, and that could be kind of fun. It should be fun. But when we're committed to the fellowship, that's like saying we're committed to the family. We're committed to the fellowship of all fellowships, and that is the family of God. They were devoted to the family of God. Now, our church is described as a community of worshipers. In our mission statement, we recognize this. God has called Victory Church to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. Now, do you know how I came up with that mission statement that has been a solid foundational mission statement for about 25 years now? Well, first of all, through a lot of prayer. But it didn't come to me during a prayer season or a time of prayer. It came to me in the shower. Word for word, just like that. 
God has called us to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. I've run it by multiple boards over the years. I've run it by our staff several times over the years, and the feeling is that's it. That's what God has called Victory Church to. But I remember trying to change that because caring, committed community of worshipers sounds a literal, little bit too alliterative, you know, alliterative, a little, little too much, you know, season there, caring, committed community of worshipers. And I thought, God, can't we just like drop committed and we just be a caring community of worshipers? And I felt like the Lord says, no. In a non-committal society, it is important that you understand that this calls for commitment. Who we are together calls that we be committed to the community. And that's a reflection of this early church who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, the way it's written out in the Greek it's almost as though fellowship, the fellowship and breaking of bread go together. They're like one thing. You know, there's something about sharing a meal together, isn't it? I mean, the Jews felt so strongly about it that they refused to eat with anybody who was not a Jew. That's how significant a meal together was. And in the early church, it was significant. They weren't exclusive like they had been as Jews, but now... They're understanding that this is a part of being committed to the fellowship, that we break bread together. You know, over the past couple of months, Lisa and I had our daughter Anna home with us. We're very sad that our other daughter, Haley, had to remain in Australia for her summer break our Christmas season and it was the first Christmas without Haley but it was so good to have Anna home and during that time we went to visit my parents and you know a big part of our enjoying each other's company was breaking not just bread turkey pecan pie chocolate cake right bread is a euphemism for they ate together and you know we ought to be willing to eat together I think it's a big big part of what God would want to do amongst us so they were devoted to that won't spend a whole lot of time on that obviously have already put it into practice over the last couple of months now it's a season of prayer and fasting <laughs> which is the fourth thing that they devoted themselves to not so much fasting though that is evident in the early life of the church but they devoted themselves as it says here to prayer to prayer now it's interesting that in a list of four things to which they devoted themselves it came last does that mean it's of the least significance of the four things or is this a true occasion you know don't you hate it when you're introduced last but not least Jacob curling <laughs> last but not no this is a truly a last but not least element in these things to which the church was devoted it, it, it was really evident that prayer saturated their lives prayer was what they were about I remember hearing John Maxwell give a list of attributes that you need to have in high-level leaders in the church and he gave, you know, like a dozen things. And the very last one was loyalty. And he said, I put this last intentionally. Because a lot of times people think that, you know, if they're 
loyal, that's enough that they don't need any of the other attributes of leadership to be a leader. How many of you know it takes more than just loyalty? That as leaders, as pastors, I have to look for more than just the fact that somebody might be loyal to me or loyal to our church. So he said loyalty comes last intentionally, but that doesn't mean it's not important because without loyalty, everything else is canceled out. Now that's a good lesson on loyalty, but that's not what I'm trying to say right now. What I'm trying to say is, without prayer, everything else in this list is canceled out. Without prayer, none of the other work of the early church, none of the other elements of devotion would have accomplished anything. We must be a church that's about prayer. If we fail at prayer, we fail at everything else. But prayer ought to be something that saturates our lives. Now, I think a lot of times we as Pentecostals, we dismiss prayer that doesn't fit a certain stereotype. Like the stereotype that I was raised with was a weekly time of prayer where we gathered together and prayed in tongues loudly for as long as we could stand it. And you know what? I kind of like that style of prayer. And in some ways, it's kind of spoiled me. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. If you think, oh, that's freaky. You know, praying in tongues is, is wonderful. It, it, it can just really, Paul says when you pray in an unknown tongue, it builds you up. And so it, it's absolutely wonderful. Don't, don't just dismiss it. Oh, that's freaky. I'm not going back to that church. They believe in these crazy things. No, it, it's, it's a gift of the Spirit that God has clearly given to His church and a great way to pray. But if we think that's the only way to pray, then I believe that gives the devil an upper hand because the early church wasn't about one prayer meeting a week. In fact, they prayed multiple times a day following the Middle Eastern, the Jewish pattern. And I believe that we need to get more and more comfortable with the idea that, you know, being a praying church doesn't mean that we gather 800 people once a week for a prayer meeting. Or 500 people or however many would fit into this building. I think we need to get comfortable with the idea that when we include prayer in and before and after and with everything we do, we are a praying church. And I was really happy a few weeks ago I went to hear one of the leaders from IHOP, the International House of Prayer, not Pancakes, Prayer, (laughs) Kansas City, very famous place. In fact, you know, Beatty's kids are there and uh, we support them we just started doing that and uh, it's known for prayer 24 hours a day seven days a week but this teacher from that ministry said you gotta kind of lower your expectation levels in some respects and you know to hear some person from that kind of prayer movement say that she but she said you know when when you have prayer going on in the staff and in other aspects of the life of the church that is a praying church so I asked Lisa to give me some ideas of where prayer is going on in this church right now. You know, we have Wednesday night prayer, 7 o'clock, right back here. Encourage you to be a part of that. We have prayer for people after service. You might notice sometimes that at the end of the service, there'll be a message on the screen. If you need prayer, come up. You can get prayer after every 
Sunday or hopefully Monday night service too. You know, we talk about prayer over our connect cards. We have a team that prays over every prayer request submitted through the prayer cards. We have prayer in every life group. Prayer, uh, you know, should be the start or a part of every life group meeting. If it's not, you need to get it into it because that is one of the things that, that we expect of every single life group. Uh, you know, we have healing prayer. Tuesday nights, healing prayer. You can come in right here, uh, third Sundays, come in, and there's a team specifically trained to pray for healing. We have a team that prays over new believers. We have occasional, and I think with Pastor Steve coming on board, we're going to have even more frequent Friday night, once every four to six weeks of a pursuit service where it's about prayer, the prophetic, and worship, and uh, powerful, powerful times. Currently, what are we doing? You go out there in uh, to the area between here and the lobby. You see on the wall uh, calendar. Those are people signed up for prayer and fasting, praying for a move of God through fresh air. And, you know, every staff meeting, every meeting that I'm a part of, I want to make sure it starts with prayer. And, you know, let's get rid of the idea. I've heard people say this so many times. Well, you can't expect to have a perfunctory prayer at the beginning of a meeting, and God's going to hear that baloney what do you think by your many words that you're heard i think jesus said something about that he said it's not by your many words that you're heard in other words don't think that because you can't spend an hour on your knees you know just pounding at the gates of heaven before a meeting that it doesn't count it counts god answers prayer and you know some of the best miracles i've seen over the years have you know very little prayer at that moment behind them you pray you stay prayed up you live in prayer you keep prayer around all the time and then when you pray those so-called perfunctory prayers before a meeting or any other activity guess what it's a part of a life of prayer do it pray anytime all the time and quit letting some kind of religious guilt keep you from thinking that that prayer counts Amen? Amen. Amen. And, you know, I'm preaching to myself as much as to anybody because sometimes because of that Pentecostal upbringing and because of the, the kinds of prayer meetings I have seen that are amazing, that the other doesn't count, but it does. And some of you, you might think, oh, there's no way I could become a person of prayer. If, if you don't have a prayer life, start out with two or three minutes of prayer a day. What? Two or three? Absolutely. If you're praying none now, and you start praying two or three minutes a day, guess what's going to happen? God's going to begin doing something. And you'll find yourself praying even more. Those were the four commitments of the early church. Now, verse 43. When I preached that first sermon, I just stopped right there. But I have to add a little bit more because I'm more long-winded now than I was 27 years ago. <laughs> now, I, I want you to see that there's more to the passage in Luke's description of the early church because he says the result in verse 43 was everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I think a lot of times we as Pentecostals, you know, to have a legitimate move of God, we want the signs and wonders without first paying attention to verse 42 which is they devoted themselves do you think maybe there was a correlation that maybe they saw more miracles 
because they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I think so. I think we need to devote ourselves. Now, here's the thing about revival and expecting revival and the rhythms of revival. Those elements of devotion are much easier after revival comes. But here's the thing that I believe that a lot of times the setup for revival is devoting ourselves to those things even when it's not easy. Now we're trying to make it a little bit easier for you in this season by doing it all together. Fresh air. See what God will do. See if we don't have some miracles. See if we aren't being set up for revival. Because, see, I believe that if we'll do what we're supposed to be doing, what we know to do from the Word of God, devote ourselves to these foundational principles, God will take care of the revival. And it, it doesn't mean that we're making God send revival or that we can organize ourselves into revival. You know, we can't even pray ourselves into revival. God sends revival in His timing. I believe that with all of my heart. But I do also believe that in his timing, he begins to stir his people to devote themselves more fully to his word and to each other and to being together in fellowship that includes breaking of bread together and the Lord's Supper and the power that can come along with that and prayer. He stirs that. He begins doing that, and we're ready. It's like a plane taking off. Now, the, the plane is lifted on the currents of air, correct? But how many of you have seen a plane just be lifted up from the runway at a standstill? Well, it can happen. I, I have seen occasions where the wind would just lift the plane. But those occasions are either a tornado or a hurricane. <laughs> and that's not what we want. I believe that God wants us to get, get running down the runway. And at the right time, that we're going to experience the lift that he intends for us to experience. Because all this is a part of fresh air. We're responding to what God's already done. The initial church, the, the, the church at the beginning in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and following is responding to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they had experienced on the day of Pentecost. And you might say, well, we haven't had Pentecost yet. Yes, we have. God's already moved. He's already done something. You're here because God has already moved and worked in your life. And if we respond to what God has already done by devoting ourselves to these things, God's going to do even more. Yeah. Promise you. I know it. And what does he do? Then we get to go to verse 43, that he performs signs and wonders. Of course, you know, this is the Acts of the Apostles, and the emphasis is on the Apostles. But if you read through the book of Acts, you see that eventually that it's not just the Apostles through whom God performed miracles. It's through his church, through an apostolic church, a church devoted to the Apostles' teaching. That's us. God is still doing signs and wonders and miracles. And, you know, we don't see it at the same level as the early church. We don't see it at the same level as other parts of the world really right now. But I believe this. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. He never stops. He never stops working. Even when I don't feel it. 
Yes. He never stops working. He is working. And we need to believe for miracles. We need to believe that he is the miracle worker. He is still doing wonderful things, and we need not be ashamed of it. You know, sometimes, you know, I have to admit that the church world can be a little embarrassing. And Pentecostalism, and I'm a Pentecostal, can be a little embarrassing. You know, it, it, it's so easy for the world just to dismiss us as those crazy people. They speak in tongues. They believe in miracles. They believe in the supernatural. They're nuts. Here's one thing I love about being in this particular region. As a transplanted southerner who didn't know very many Catholics at all. But in this region, there are millions of former Catholics, lapsed Catholics, who still have respect for their Catholic upbringing, but don't practice it because it hasn't really brought them the connection with God that they would expect, right? That's nothing against Catholicism. That's just the reality of a lot of our friends and neighbors around us. But here's one thing I love. Because of their Catholic upbringing, they are more open to miracles and the supernatural than almost anybody else. That's a setup for us people. And it's not just the Catholics that are open to the supernatural. You know, we live in an area that's highly educated. If you do a sociological survey or get a demographic report of this area, it's more than half college graduates or graduate school. Pretty educated area that we live in. And, and a lot of scientists, a lot of people associated with high-tech, pharmaceuticals, that sort of thing. And it would be easy to think that those who are not yet believers or not already believers would laugh at you for believing in the supernatural, right? Easy to believe that. You know, oh, everybody knows that science and religion don't mix. How many times have we heard that? We hear it all the time. So it's easy to start believing that and think that if somebody's scientific or intellectual or educated, they're going to laugh at us. So we better keep our belief in the intervention of God. Hush, hush. To save us embarrassment, right? I remember this was a few years ago talking with the father of one of my daughter Haley's classmates and this father was a brilliant scientist PhD he had been raised in China in their educational system taken away from his family and raised as an atheist in the Chinese educational system because he showed so so much promise as a little boy so this is this brilliant guy and one of the first things he asked me is does your church believe in healing and miracles and I'm thinking oh no now I, I'm I'm not ashamed of believing in the supernatural but one thing I do know is that very often it will shut down conversations so I'm thinking oh well that's the end of my relationship with this guy, you know? But, yep, unashamedly, yeah, we believe in miracles. We believe in healing. And you know what he, he told me? This guy raised in the Chinese educational system, apart from his family, as an atheist, just inculcated into him. He says, you know, my father and mother were Christians. And he said, they became Christians because my mother got cancer. And they 
we're looking for a healing and he said my mom didn't get healed but my dad's still a Christian and I still believe that miracles are possible isn't that something this brilliant guy raised as an atheist believe that let me tell you the world needs signs and wonders the world needs miracles and God's still doing them you know it doesn't happen often one of my great stories of healing is my mother's cousin Harvey who was a part-time preacher full-time mechanic always had just a little church so he had to have a job on the side they couldn't afford to pay him a full salary but you know as he got older in his 60s he started getting so much pain in his body he thought I just have to retire so he retired pain didn't get any better in fact it got worse finally went to the doctor any any other guys here besides me that are reluctant to go to a doctor for whatever reason I mean I just don't go uh, he was like that didn't go finally the pain got so severe that he had to go and when they analyzed what was wrong they found that he had cancer bone cancer it had spread all through his body and they said it's too late to do anything no surgery no chemo no radiation just need to you know get your affairs in order because you don't have too many more months left well family got to praying church got to praying everybody got to praying a few months later he went back and there was absolutely no cancer in his body and he lived about 11 12 however many years after that and died of something completely unrelated to cancer God is a healing God amen amen and, and you know he does little things I, I love I would I want to see more of those kinds of healings and we will see more of that but we need to be alert to God moving and working in little things I think about this I have my other daughter who did come home for the last couple of months is on a plane right now can you believe this we put her on the plane at 4 30 p.m. yesterday afternoon She's still on a plane after only a 30-minute layover in Salt Lake City and then a 45-minute layover in Los Angeles, and she's still on the plane with about six more hours to go to Sydney, Australia. That's a long flight. And, you know, we were a little concerned about the 30-minute layover in Salt Lake City and only 45 minutes in LAX. Because that can be a tight turnaround, especially if the plane is late at all. And she was going to have to get off her plane, go down to the end of the terminal, catch a bus, and go to another terminal, and then walk to her second gate. And Elisa and I prayed. We prayed, Lord, straighten it out, make a way. We went and looked at the app, see where the gates were. They had changed it so that she landed at gate 25 and departed from gate 26 in the same terminal. I, I think that's God. You know, and, and you might say, well, why would God be concerned about that little thing when there's so many? I don't know. I don't know why he would do that, and I believe that was God. I believe that was the Lord that made that change. Yeah, you can attribute it to, you know, schedules and planes and all that. God did that. Because everything in the hours up to putting her on the plane showed she was going to have to transfer from one terminal to another in that short time span that she had. That's God. God's working. Even when you don't see it, He's working. 
And when, even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. Hallelujah. Now look at this. Verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know what you see there? Radical generosity. Does that mean that if we're going to be the kind of church that sees signs and wonders, we're devoted to all the things that the early church devoted themselves to, we have to sell our property and possessions and just put it all together in one pot, communal living? No, the evidence from the Bible is that that response to the outpouring of the Spirit was a very short time in the life of the church. But what's the principle that you keep seeing over and over throughout the book of Acts and in all of Scripture? You see radical generosity. Folks, we're not going to have revival with a bunch of stingy people. Can I just say that? We can't be stingy with our stuff. Oh, just, just to let you know, if you will look at a common theme through this whole series, Great God, Full Hearts Can't Lose, you'll see that there's a reference to stuff and our relationship with stuff and our generosity in every single one of those four sermons. Because you just can't get away from acknowledging and responding to a great God and having a heart that is full and then just hanging on stingily to our stuff. Can't happen! Be generous. The tithe, I hear people all the time, oh, the early church didn't emphasize the tithe. No, they emphasized selling everything. <laughs> all right? Two or three percent. Get regular in your giving. Get regular in your giving. When revival comes, there's almost always a revival of finances too. Creativity, finances, prayer. God's going to take care of it. Now notice this. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Notice the location where they were temple courts and in their homes big meetings little meetings big meetings little meetings now they did this every day again that's a pattern that you don't see continued throughout the book of acts but what pattern do you see that continues through the book of acts they met together in the temple courts they met together in homes they made that a part of their lives. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Acts 5, 12. Can we do that? The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. In other words, they would meet together in a large group. Acts 5, verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. All the way toward the end of Acts, Acts 20, 20. What does it say? Paul is speaking to the church. This is Paul who was not there at the early church founding. He persecuted the early church, but once he got converted, what are some patterns that he did continue to observe? You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you how publicly and from house to house. The idea that you can just meet house to house and that will do for you spiritually what is done in a larger setting is, I think, a false assumption. 
and the idea that you can meet together in a large meeting in an exciting church and worship God and that's going to do everything for you spiritually that a small group will do is a fallacy you need both we need both man there's a big move right now dinner church look it up dinner church dinner church oh it's a new thing it ain't no new thing the new thing about it is when people say this is the only thing we need just meet together as Christians for dinner no we meet together for you know you can have meals at any life group that we have and a lot of you do alpha Alpha's built on the we have alpha marriage alpha outreach alpha evangelism is something that we're looking to restart here guess what a meal's a part of that have snacks have pizza whatever the case might be but get into small groups and also be devoted to the larger group settings and notice here that they they did so with glad and sincere hearts verse 46 every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts Christians should be glad we should be happy people we should be rejoicing in what God has done among us I remember a few years ago after a late night service prophetic kind of service prayer service something like that a whole bunch of us went to Applebee's you know Applebee's has a bar and then it has booths around that and we were set at a booth right next to the bar that big one there in the corner at least it used to be and the bar was filled with people and they were all just sitting there drinking Nobody was smiling. Nobody was laughing. People weren't talking. They were just watching whatever was on TV, and it wasn't sports at the time because then people get animated by the sports. They were just sitting there. And do you know who was acting drunk and crazy? All the church people. And we weren't drinking any alcohol. It was all, you know, just Coke and Diet Coke, and you know, and we were having, and I just remember the contrast. And folks, that's the way it should be. We have something that makes us glad. And that is we know the Lord. We've been saved. We have the Holy Spirit. He hears and answers prayer. We ought to have glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere. Now, should we be sincere? Can you be glad and sincere? Absolutely. You know, it's not just that we're frivolous about things. We're not flippant about important things. But, you know... What this means is that we're authentic in our gladness. We're authentic in our relationship with each other. We're authentic in our relationship with God. I hear authenticity is a very high value among the younger generations. You know, when I hear that, I like to think, you know, yeah, we older generations, we were very content with being fooled and hoodwinked. <laughs> no, no. Did you know that most descriptions of young generations don't just fit the current young generation but they fit the old generation when they were that age it's true there are variations but for the most part some of those principles like young people like authenticity young people have always liked authenticity the world likes some authenticity and we ought to be authentic and once we got once we can fake that we got it made no, we're not faking it. <laughs> and here's the result. The Lord added daily, daily, those who are being saved. The Lord added to their number. Who did the Lord add it to? The number. The number of who? The number of the church. 
God adds to his church. He adds to his family. And, you know, that means that this church impacted the world around him, and that's what we're trying to do, impact our world. You see the four words on the backs of some of the church. Impact, engage your world, we've been calling it. Impact your world. We want to impact our world. We want to make a difference, and we will if we let God make a difference through us. That's revival. Now, there's no formula for this, is there? It's not, I'm not by any means saying, if you will do these four things, be devoted to the church, meet together in the temple courts and the large meetings for four weeks, and in the small groups for four weeks, that God's going to send revival. Now, let me just say it again. I believe that God is looking to send revival in this season. I believe America's ready for it. The world is ready for it. Well, the world's already in it. Some people in America are already in it. And God's looking for people that will say to God, God, we're ready for it. We're ready for it. We're getting in position. We're getting ourselves on the runway. God, if you don't provide the wind, we're not going to be able to take off. We're not going to be able to generate the speed to run down the runway in such a way as to take off. God, you've got to do that. But I believe God's looking for people who are going to say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. See, if we do our part, God will do his. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us a pattern, principles, not just methods, but principles which are unchanging. And God, we're not here just to play a religious game. We're not here just to provide a consumer good. Lord God, we're here to glorify you. We're here to worship you. We're here to love you. We're here to learn how to love one another. We're here to reach our world for you. We're here, oh God. For your purposes. Lord, we pray that you would begin to stir something up fresh and new in us. In the name of Jesus, stir up something fresh and powerful among us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me ask you, have you ever made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He has a purpose and a plan. He wants to do something through you. He wants your life to count. He wants it to be significant in every respect. Let me say this. You already have infinite value to him. And he's given you a free gift that is eternal life. And he gives it through Jesus. But we have to say yes to that gift. If you've never said yes to the gift of eternal life, new life, fresh life, today's the day. In just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer out loud together. And if you would say, I want to be included in that prayer, I want to say yes to Jesus. I'm talking to people who've never made a commitment to Christ, and right now you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, when I count to three, I want to ask you, with people not looking around, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you've made a decision for Christ at some earlier point, but you've gotten off track and now you're coming back to Christ, you also, when I say three, raise your hand. 
So whether for the first time or whether you're coming back to him, don't worry about anybody around you. You just receive. Get ready to receive what God wants to pour out into your life right now. Right now. I welcome you into an experience with God and the love of his family right now. If that's you, you say yes to it. When I say three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes. Just raise your hand. Yes, sir. Others. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. See you back there. God sees you too. Yes, sir. You can put your hands down. Let's all pray this prayer out loud. Let's encourage those who've raised their hand today. Let's recommit ourselves to this, this new move of God, this fresh move, which is fresh air. Let's pray this out loud together. Say this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. I turn from my sin. I ask you to forgive me and fill me with your presence. Fill me with new life. Help me to live for you. Thank you for receiving me as your child. I'm yours forever, God. Thank you for being with us on this podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia. Because this is being posted at the time of the coronavirus outbreak, we're not able to meet in large gatherings in person. So we're taking the opportunity to relaunch our regular podcasts. You can expect new sermons to be posted by Tuesday of each week, and we'll also be going back into the archives for messages that will be posted on Thursdays. If this message has been a blessing to you, we'd be most thankful if you would like it and then share our podcast with others. You can find out more about Victory Church Philadelphia online at www.getvictory.net or, if it's easier for you, just philly.church. There you can share your prayer requests with us and we really will pray for you personally, individually. And you can also let us know if you've recently chosen to follow Christ so we can send a Bible to you. Or if you've been blessed by our ministry and want to help us reach and serve even more people, you could make a donation. We are a church that loves God. We love and serve our community, and we're here to bless you. Stay connected and stay tuned in for some exclusive interviews and content in coming days and weeks. In the meantime, be blessed. Mm -hmm.